you want to walk across the aisle or even across the auditorium, greet somebody, say hello to somebody, find out how their week's going. Maybe meet somebody you haven't met before. We're going to give you a couple minutes to do that this morning. I love the sound of fellowship and conversation in the sanctuary. It's one of the things that we're instructed to do. It's a good sound to hear that taking place. Good morning. I was away on Sunday, January 1st, and I was downstairs helping with the kids' ministry last week. So for those that I haven't had a chance to greet yet, Happy New Year. And uh, we're on day 15 of 2012, and I hope that you're already finding this year to be all that you hoped it would be. I'm anticipating that 2012 is going to be a great year for Calvary Temple and the ministries and the programs that are here. I'm very excited about what new things God has in store for us as we continue on this great journey together, and I trust you agree with that. Can we pray together one more time? Just bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you. For this day you've given us, full of opportunities to serve you, to worship you like we did this morning already. Father, we thank you for those opportunities. And now as we look at your word, I pray that you'd open our hearts, our understanding for what you'd have us know and understand today. But Father, even more important in understanding and more important in knowing, we want to put into practice your word in the days to come. So help us to do that as well. In your precious name, amen. Amen. The children's fairy tale goes this way. Once upon a time, there was a king who was going through his kingdom looking for a fair maiden to be his wife and his queen. And so he sent out his best royal advisor to search for a girl who was special in every way. There had to be something about her that put her a mark above the rest. The royal advisor searched high and low and found many beautiful girls, many hardworking girls, but none that he would deem as special and better than all the rest. 
Until one day, the miller, who was known for storytelling and boasting, started talking in a very loud voice. So loud, in fact, that in just a few moments, he had created for himself quite an audience. I have the most beautiful daughter in the whole kingdom, he said. The king will surely pick my daughter above all the others. But the people mocked him and laughed at his boasting. He was only the town miller. There was nothing special about him or his daughter, although she was beautiful. The royal advisor, hearing the commotion, went over and listened for a moment to the miller's boasts. And he asked the miller, Miller, I can see that your daughter is beautiful, but what is so special about your daughter? The miller thought for a moment and replied, Why, she makes the finest material in all the land, for she can spin straw into gold, he lied. The royal advisor thought, well, this would either be amazing or amusing. So he brought the miller's daughter to the royal palace, and the king, seeing her beauty immediately, was charmed. But remained true to his word. He didn't just want someone who was beautiful. He wanted someone that was special. The royal advisor announced, Your Majesty, this girl's father claims that she can spin straw into gold. The king replied, Amazing! That would be special. Give her a spinning wheel and a room full of straw, and with that she was locked up for the night. If she could not produce a room full of gold by the next morning, her father would be executed for lying and embarrassing the king. Obviously, there's no way that she could spin the straw into gold, and she begins to cry, not knowing what else to do. If you want to find out how the story ends, you can look it up when you get home. Just look up the name Rumpelstiltskin. And one of the morals that we're trying to be taught to children through the fairy tale was that boasting and bragging about oneself, in other words, lying, generally doesn't do anything profitable. You have to be able to back up what you say with action. If you aren't prepared to follow through on what you say, then maybe you shouldn't say it. Whatever you say will lose its authority. It will lose its meaning if there is no action to back it up. Spinning straw to gold sounded lovely and wonderful, even amazing. But when the daughter was put to the test, the miller's authority was tested and tried, and he was found to be a fraud, found to be a liar. Now let's turn to a more important book, a much more important book with far greater life impact. The Bible tells us that there once lived a man named John the Baptist. John had a rough life. Apparently, even his physical appearance alone was a pretty sorry sight to look at. He was a prophet. And prophets, although respected as a mouthpiece for God, were often seen as a little different from the rest of society. And everywhere he went, he preached a message of repentance and was often persecuted for the straightforwardness of his message and his approach. Finally, after years of ministry, he's thrown into prison, and, and John, knowing his life was coming near an end, was concerned. You see, all of his life he had preached that the kingdom of God was near and the Messiah was about to come. He knew that people in the community were claiming that this new teacher named Jesus was the Messiah. And this brought hope to John. He had met Jesus. In fact, they were related. But now Herod had thrown him in prison for the message that he was preaching and for denouncing Herod's sin. And now John had some questions. He may even had some doubts. He needed answers. So the next time John's followers visited him in prison, he told them to go and ask Jesus if he really is the Messiah. Tell him John wants to know if he should be looking for someone else, or was Jesus the real deal? 
So his friends went and found Jesus and relayed to him John's question. And Jesus' response is recorded in Luke 7 and verse 22. And I printed all of our scripture passages today on your insert in your newsletter instead of on the PowerPoint. Luke 7 verse 22 says this, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. And I'm sure John's disciples had seen plenty that would have left them awestruck and without any question that Jesus was, in fact, who he claimed to be. They'd be able to go back and report to John with great certainty. Note that Jesus doesn't scold them. doesn't scold John or of his followers for their question, even though it may have revealed some doubts that were in their minds. Instead, Jesus realized where they were coming from. He realized that John was in a vulnerable state as he lay in prison, probably wondering if his life of sacrifice was worth it all. And so Jesus simply said, look around. The proof of who I am is all around you. If you have trouble believing what I say, look at what is taking place, the miracles, the healings. I am who I say I am. Jesus was obviously a person of his word. Jesus was, in fact, who he claimed to be. His life lined up with his message. He didn't teach one thing and then do another. He lived out his teachings. And the miracles and changed lives were proof of who he was. The Gospels outlined for us the, the teachings of Jesus. And in there we find recorded people being asked to follow him and become his disciple. His followers, Jesus' followers, were not only ones who physically followed Jesus around the countryside. Jesus' followers weren't ones who had just decided to go with Jesus on a vacation or on a road trip. I suppose there were some of those types of people. There were probably people that just joined the crowd and weren't really sure who this Jesus was, but they wanted to stay close enough to find out. But the real followers of Jesus were ones that had bought in to his teachings and chose to do their best to live out those teachings as well. We must understand that G many of Jesus' teachings and his claims were very radical in his day. They would seem upside down or backwards to the way of thinking that people had been brought up with. When people decided to follow Jesus, they were leaving a whole mindset that they had been taught their entire lives. And they were replacing with a set of values and ideas that were revolutionary. Just for an example, you can see some of the phrases in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you and lie about you. If someone hits you on the cheek, turn them the other also. If someone wants your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This wouldn't have been the normal way of thinking. This teaching was something that was different, and, and those that followed Jesus and chose to live like this would be considered radical. They would be different from everyone else. Now, here's where we come in. We believe that this book, the Bible, was not only for those living in Jesus' day, but its teachings transcend down through the centuries and applies to us today. It has been translated into hundreds of languages around the world, and there are dozens of modern translations designed to make the Bible easier for us to understand today. 
What would be the point of all that if we didn't believe the Bible was still important today, still relevant today? It is still a bestseller. So we look at the Bible and agree it is for today, and so we realize that we're being called to follow the same Jesus. We're being asked to listen to his radical teaching and choose to live by it. If we do that, we become a Christ follower and have begun the wonderful journey of a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God himself. In fact, in Jesus' day, people were being asked to leave the lifestyle and the mindset and, and the way of doing things that they were used to and choose to live, choose a different way of living, a life outlined by the teachings of Jesus. And today it is no different. Jesus asks us to leave our old way of living behind and ask for forgiveness for the way we used to live and choose to believe that Jesus and his word are real and choose to live by what we find in his word. When we do that, we're called Christians, or Christ ones, or Christ followers. And here's the point that God has been reminding me about this week, and that I want to emphasize this morning. Being a Christ follower should make us different. Being a Christ follower should make us different. Today, if you told someone that you were a Christian, or that you were a Christ follower, would they believe you? Would they believe you? Is your life a little different from others around you? Do people see you as someone who has a relationship with God? Is there fruit in your life? Is your life bearing fruit? Are there others being ministered to and helped through your life? If you told someone that you were a Christian, would they believe you and say, yeah, that makes sense? Or would they laugh at you and disbelieve you? No way. You're not one of them. Whether or not people ask for proof, they really do want to know that you are who you say you are. And they want to know if what you have with God is real. They want to know if it's authentic. People aren't asking for you to call down fire from heaven or or raise someone from the dead. They just need to see that your life lines up and proves who you are and who you belong to. Does your life leave no question that you're a child of God's? Being a Christ follower should make make us different. Are you who you say you are? People are watching you. They're watching us. People are watching us very closely to see if our lives line up with who we claim to be. You come in contact with people every day, and if if you are a Christ follower, you represent Jesus. How are you representing him to the people that you work with, go to school with, rub shoulders with every day? Little boy was watching the minister who lived next door fix his fence. The minister noticed the intense look on the boy's face and asked him if he was interested in growing up to be a carpenter. The boy said, no, not at all. Just waiting to see what a minister says when he bangs his thumb with a hammer. I know what I say, but I'm not going to tell you. I used to play on a hockey team. A bunch of guys from the church I attended and myself put a team together. and We didn't play in a church league, though. It was some kind of a rec league. And and sometimes the games would get pretty rough, and the language would get rather rink-like. And I was already pastoring at the time, and my teammates often threatened me that if I got out of line, they were going to place, replace the name on the back of my jersey and just put pastor across the back for everyone to see. Whenever I started acting up, all the guys on my team had to do was say, Pastor. And then everyone on the ice would just stare at me, and so I'd shrink off to the bench. And I know I must be careful not to act in such a way that would discredit who I am and the office that I have been called to. I'm a Christ follower, and sometimes I need to be reminded that I need to act in such a way that will not discredit Jesus or my message of Christ. 
If you are a Christ follower, the same goes for you. You are to be different. So what makes us different? How are we to be different? Are we to be weird different or just subtly different? Peter sheds a little light on this for us. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, and he says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Peter starts out by saying, Don't live like you used to live. Well, that right there tells us that there should be an immediate change. It'll be different. Those who knew you before should see that there is something different about you. It may be a drastic change or maybe a subtle change, depending on what your lifestyle was like before you became a Christ follower. But there should be a difference. If Jesus doesn't make a difference in your life, then what's the point? Jesus has to make a difference. Regardless of your, what your life was like before, at what time we were living for ourselves or for others or for money or for anything, or it was something other than God. And then when we became a Christ follower, we suddenly changed our focal point, And we started living for God and his desires for our life. And the way that he would have us live. That has to make a difference. I understand that choosing to, to follow Christ is a process or a journey for most people. For some people, there is a, a marked moment in time. They can point to a date on the calendar and say, that is the day that I decided to follow Jesus. And from that moment on, I did things a little differently. For others, and I love this analogy, it's a journey. A journey that is marked with a time of questions, a time of discovery, a time of experiencing, a time of believing, and finally a time of living it out. And for everyone that has chosen to follow Christ, or is even considering following Christ, they are, they are somewhere in that process. Questions, discovery, experiencing, believing, living. They are somewhere on that journey. It's just that we go through all the stages at different speeds. Everyone's journey is a little different. For some people, they can mark the different stages in their life journey as a particular points in time. For others, it's a process. And it's a journey that we never complete during this lifetime. We are always on the journey. Yes, we can look back and say, there was a time that I chose to become a Christ follower, but that was one of the beginning stages. It was in no way intended to be an end stage. Once we choose to follow Jesus, that is where the journey gets exciting. And every day we can discover new things. Every day we can grow in our walk with the Lord. Every day we can grow closer with Him, closer to Him. As we live out these discoveries, we find they make us different from those that do not choose to follow Christ. Peter continued, after he said you have to live differently than you did before, he said you have to be holy as God is holy. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds almost kind of ominous. Be holy. It sounds kind of important, but what does it mean? Peter also wrote in the next chapter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. I like that. We are God's special possession. You are God's special possession. The New International Version says, you belong to God. Once you decide to follow Jesus, you are set apart. You are chosen and you are holy. 
The King James Version says that you are a peculiar people. I asked before if we're to be subtly different or, or we're different. Well, in the King James English, we are called peculiar. And I need to be careful here because I have met some weird Christians that were weird in an unhealthy way. They were so heavenly minded, they had no clue as to what was taking place on earth. You couldn't have a normal conversation with them. Now it's great to talk about God. I love talking about God and the things of God. I love hearing about how God is at work in people's lives. I love hearing reports of how God is making a difference in someone. I love hearing that. I love to talk about that. I love to talk about God's goodness in, in someone's life, in my life. But if I ask someone about how the Wheat Kings did last night or how the Jets did yesterday, I'm not looking for a spiritual answer. I've met some people that have that are so far removed themselves from real society that they turn people off and they cause people to think that if that is what being a Christ follower means, that I don't want any part of it. It's weird. It sounds boring. We know the Christian life is far from boring. The Christian life is an exciting adventure. It has its ups and it has its downs, but it's the best way to live. We know that. But I love the example of Paul. He writes to the Corinthian church. He says this, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul said, I have to be able to relate to my community. I have to be real. I have to know what is going on. I have to be aware of the needs that are here around me. Now, Paul in no way washed down the message. He preached it straight up. But he was aware of his audience and did his best to relate to them so he could be a bridge to help people discover Jesus and a relationship with him. Wow, what a concept. Be normal. BG Club started up again this week. It was our first night of clubs after Christmas. And I went over and I was talking with one of the younger boys and I asked him what he got for Christmas. And he beamed as he told me about the new video game system that he had received and the new game he was playing. And I mentioned another video game title and asked if he had ever played it. And his eyes went really big. And I knew what he was thinking. How did Pastor Vern even know about that game? And I proceeded to tell him about some of the other video games that I had played and finished and the ones that I was presently working on. And his jaw just hit the floor. It never crossed his mind that a pastor would play a video game. And, and his look of shock turned into this huge smile as we continued to talk and share and relate to each other. In that moment, I became the coolest pastor on staff, even cooler than Pastor Gary Jr. But, but just for a moment, the, the, the feeling didn't last very long. We need to be real for a moment to a grade three boy. I was real. We bonded and shared a common interest. And later in the evening, when I had a chance to teach a memory verse to a group, to the group and, and explain what it meant, he was ready to receive it and learn it because we had a moment when I was real with him. I was normal. There are two sides. Because when, while we need to be real, we still need to be different. And there's an angst that is caused. There's a tension that takes place because we are called to be set apart and different, and holy, and yet we need to be real, and authentic, and normal. So what does it mean to be set apart, different, and holy? How are we to live? I think of it this way. At one time, we were living for someone, or something, other than God. doesn't really matter what it was. could have been living for yourself. It could have been living for your family. could have been living for money. could have been living for the next raise, or promotion. It could have been living for uh, school, or education, or a, a good mark in, in a class. It could have been living for the next drink, or the next high. It could be anything. Whatever it was, it was like a lens that you were looking through. 
Whatever you saw in life, you looked at it through that particular lens. It doesn't matter what you did or what you saw or where you went. You saw everything through that particular lens. Now, when you, became a, when you become a Christ follower, it's like you're given a new set of lenses to look through. And these new lenses put God as your focus. Now everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go, every part of your life is seen through these new lenses that make Jesus the Lord of your life. He now affects everything that you do, everything you say, everywhere that you go, and every decision that you make. And when you choose to live that way, then you're living a holy life, a separate life, a different life. Now I still need to remember that the Christian life is a journey. It's a process. And some people are on different processing speeds than others. And we leave the timing up to the Holy Spirit. He leads us and guides us into changes that we need to make in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us into a deeper relationship and allows the spiritual growth that needs to happen in our life. I've met some people, though, who claim to be Christ followers and use the journey analogy as an excuse, though, or a crutch for things that they know they need to change, but they just don't want to. There may be things in our life that the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts about, but we say, well, I'm on a journey, and I just haven't dealt with that yet. That may be so, but there comes a point that our so-called journey has turned into doing laps around the track. And yeah, you're moving all right, but you really aren't getting anywhere, and you keep dealing with the same issue over and over again. You keep sidestepping areas of your life that you know the Holy Spirit wants you to deal with, or you just plain make excuses and justify sin, because you're on a journey around a circular track. At some point, your journey has to take you somewhere, somewhere better, and you should see growth and improvement in your life. Peter, a few verses earlier, says this, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. If you are at the same point in your Christian walk that you were when you first decided to follow God, something is not right. Peter says that we are to crave spiritual milk, not just so that we're well-fed and full of knowledge. It's so that we may grow up. We are supposed to grow up in our relationship with God. What are you doing to help yourself grow in the things of God? I hope we're spending time in God's Word. I hope we're spending time talking with God and and building that relationship with Him. We're at the start of a new year. My prayer for you is that 2012 will be your best year yet with the Lord. I pray that when you get to January of 2013, you're able to look back on 2012 and see growth along the way. There may be some bumps in the road. There may be some unexpected hazards in the way, but I hope we can look back on 2012 without regret as to how we choose, how we chose to live out our lives with God. Are you who you say you are? If I call myself a follower of Christ, does my life line up with my claim? In a few moments, we're going to be heading out. This week, we will go to our schools, our places of work, our homes. We'll be in the community rubbing shoulders with other people. And if you're a Christ follower, will others see something different in you that sets you apart? Will you walk with integrity? Will you put on the God-focused lenses and allow Him to affect everything that you do, everything that you say, everywhere that you go, and every decision that you make? What stage of the journey are you on today? Maybe you're still in the asking and discovering stage. You're still asking questions about Jesus. I pray you discover who He is and choose to make Him the Lord of your life. It will be the best decision that you ever made.
For those that have already made that decision, what will 2012 be for you? Let this year be the year that you go far on your journey with the Lord. Ask God to help you live your life in such a way that others will see Jesus in you. We've been called to be different. We've been called to be holy and represent a holy God. And I pray that each of us will represent Him well this week. Will you bow with me in prayer? Worship team, you can come. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the reminder you give us of how we're to live. And Father, if there is someone here today that is still asking the questions, is still discovering who you are, Father, by your gentle Holy Spirit, we ask that you would draw them to yourself. May they discover how much you love them and how much you want a relationship with them. Father, reveal yourself to them today in a special way. Father, for those of us who are consider ourselves Christ followers, Father, as we go out into our schools, into our places of work, our homes, as we rub shoulders with people this week, Father, I pray that we would represent you well, that people would see you in us. Father, help us to minister before you in the way you want us to minister. Father, teach us what you want us to do this week. Open our eyes to situations around us. Show us how we can spread your love in this coming week. In your precious name, amen. Pastor Sharon and the worship team are going to lead us in a closing chorus. I, I know we already had a time of prayer earlier in the service, but just in case you missed that opportunity, we want to let you know that the front of the sanctuary is open for prayer. If you have a specific request, there's... We have prayer teams. I'd love to have the opportunity of agreeing with you. Just a moment, I will close in a prayer of dismissal. Let's stand together in closing. Feel free to come as we sing. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your house. We go with your blessing. We go recognizing that we represent you this week. So, Father, help us to represent you well in the days to come. In your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. Our altars remain open for a few moments this afternoon. Thank you for joining with us today. Have a wonderful week. A wonderful week. In the summer of life, in the laughter and light, I will trust you, I will trust you when I feel alone.